You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. Grilling season is here, and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's podcast is Ramona Ortega. It's not about what's in your bank account. It's about what do you want to do in life and how can that money and these tools, whether that's a savings account, a bank account, a mortgage, help you achieve that. Ramona Ortega is a serial entrepreneur with professional experience that spans journalism, nonprofit world, corporate law, and financial planning. Today, she is a leading figure in diversifying the financial services industry, and her life journey is one of hard work, resilience, and courage. As a woman of color from a working-class background and the first in her family to attend college, Ramona has made it her goal to reduce the racial wealth gap in the United States. She's reaching this goal as the founder and CEO of My Money, My Future, a fintech company that provides personalized financial advice to millennials of color. I am thrilled that she's joining us on this podcast. Please enjoy my conversation 
with Ramona Ortega. Ramona, thank you so much for being on To Dine for the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on. I'm looking forward to this conversation very much. And I am going to begin it the way I begin all my conversations by asking your favorite restaurant. And I know you have a very unique background in fine dining. So I'm especially (laughs) interested to hear where you love to eat. So tell me, where is your favorite spot? You know, yeah. So I'm from California, which we'll talk about that in a minute. And I have a couple of great spots, but because I'm a Brooklynite and I, you know, I live in New York, my favorite high end place is Buffet. I love Uh, Yes. It's cozy and lovely and it's got great drinks and good champagne and it's warm. It's It's warm. warm. It's it's small. And I, you know, I've read the owner's stories before. I just like the ambiance of it. And so that's my favorite place. And I go there uh, almost every year for my birthday. I have a birthday breakfast and champagne there. Tell me where the cross streets are. Oh God, is that? Um, I have been to Bouvet, but I, do, I can't remember. I can't place where it I is. I want to say like it's city. Grove and Bleecker. Yes, uh, it's in like the village. In that little area. Yes, yeah. yes. It's adorable. Uh-huh. And then my favorite uh, sort of, you know, kind of a weekly almost when I get stressed out, I go to this place called um, Hueros. It's a little Mexican joint in Crown Heights that has the best nachos, ah. like cheese or something. And, and they have the best margaritas. They're um, sort of fresh squeezed margaritas. So that's where my, that's where I go. Like on sort that's of your go-to basis <laughs> after a very stressful, it's like cheese, chips, and Margie's. What I'm with you. What you You're doing? my kind of woman. You're my kind of woman. I, 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 I love that you gave me two options. You gave me like where to celebrate, where you want to go on a special date night. And you also gave me your, your, your down and dirty where you got it, where you really go and where you really exactly. love. It's your comfort. So thank you for that. That's awesome. So you grew up in a working class family outside of Napa Valley. Very, I mean, I've, I've never met anyone who grew up in, in Napa Valley. What was that like? Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up. Sure, absolutely. So people often forget Nap- the Napa Valley. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a wine country. It's a beautiful place. And most of the Latino families that ended up there was because they were working in the fields. They were mm-hmm. farm workers. Um, and that's how, you know, essentially my family got to um, Napa. Well, Actually, my great grandfather was at the veterans' home in Yonville. So before he got before the French Laundry, <laughs> <laughs> was before, your grandfather? <laughs> yeah, before the French Laundry, actually, um, Yonville was a a town for most of the migrant workers. So my, mm. my mother actually grew up in Yonville, and across the street from the French Laundry, which is like there's a stone house there, and they used to actually occupy that. They had a restaurant, and so I have a this really interesting history. And I, eventually, I want to do a book about Yonville. And, and, the, and the Mexican families that were there. Um, so that was sort of, you know, I grew up third, I'm third generation Mexican-American, but very working class. And eventually, you know, I went to Napa High. I, I left early. I actually started my cooking career, um, which we'll talk about that. I left home early and I had started working at a small uh, kind of a bakery that decided to expand into a restaurant. And at that time, you know, home was home was a little crazy. And I was like, you know, I I think I might be better off on my own at that point. (laughs) And so I ended up working at this restaurant and the chef. And this is in Napa. And this was in Napa. So I started as kind of a barista. That was like my my, I was like, oh, I'm really excited to work (laughs) as a barista. And this I would have been my kind of like 10th to 11th grade year. 
And then they start, decided that they were going to open up the restaurant and they brought in a chef from Domaine Chandon. And, mm. you know, I, I mean, I, I, it's funny because my grandmother actually had worked at Domaine. So I had spent many summers there. And so it was interesting because I got to see the sort of the, the Napa Valley in diff, many different lenses. Right. And the chef came on. He really liked me. He's like, look, if you want to help in the kitchen as a kind of part of your job, I'm happy to, to have you there. And so I started working under Frank Hernandez, who used to be at Domaine. And he basically taught me the ropes and I ended up amazing. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy experience. <laughs> I was very young and we do, you know, catering events and, and visiting different wineries. And it was just an amazing experience because I, I really re- was able to refine my palate to really understand how the tenets of French cooking and, and kind of farm to table before it was even farm to table. And then when I ended up moving to the Bay Area, I ended up working at a couple of really great restaurants in the Bay Area and I was putting I was working in the restaurant and while I was going to school so I left school early I left my end of my 11th grade year so I didn't drop out but I took a test to get out and um, ended up doing community college in the Bay Area in Oakland and then ended up transferring to UCLA. But during that first part of my career, I guess, I was, I was definitely, um, I was in the kitchen and working at great kitchens. I ended up working at Citron, which was in um, Rockridge in the Bay Area when they first opened. And I worked at Bet's Ocean View Diner, which is one of my favorite places for breakfast in the Bay. So I have this really unique uh, relationship to food and and restaurants and really just, uh, you know, having and always people are always like, you know, you, you cook really well. I have a, a great whenever you come to my house, usually you'll have a good meal. Um, and then my son, I, you know, I, I was a single mom. I, I taught my son to kind of maneuver in the kitchen. And then he ended up um, being on one of the cooking shows for the Food Network. So he was on the Guy Ferrari, Rachel Ray cook kids cook off when he was like 12. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Well, let me let me back up a little bit because I think it's so interesting that here you are, Napa Valley is such an interesting, gorgeous place to grow up, right? And in such an interesting place since you have you made a career in fintech and really people having people evaluate wealth, right? Mm-hmm. What did you learn mm-hmm. about being in this beautiful place that is a playground for the wealthy, where some of the finest wines in the world are created and crafted, and being third generation Mexican American, working class family, mm-hmm. being part of the group of people making it happen mm-hmm. uh, for these wineries. What, what did you learn from that experience that shaped you to who you are today? Yes, I, it was an incredible experience. I think that early on, I was able to get a pretty core sense of what does inequality breed, right? And, 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 and I really realized that that juxtaposition of wealth and people who were working um, and creating this wealth was sort of the body and the sweat and the labor of this wealth were not seeing the same results, right? Mm -hmm. We weren't getting the same kinds of opportunities. You didn't see Latino families owning wineries or these restaurants. You know, we, we just weren't seeing the same kind of economic mobility. And that was something that I seen very early on. I mean, 
my my grandmother also was a caretaker for a developer. He actually worked, he was a 49er and then he bought, he ended up going into development and had this amazing uh, ranch in Napa. So she was a caretaker for, and I remember used to, we used to go and we'd clean the house. I'd help, we'd go and help her clean the house. And I just used to think, like, how do you get this kind of wealth? Like, right. why? And then, t- like, I don't even know the first, you know, like I, the first step to take to get this kind of wealth. Like, who, who, I mean, I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't know any doctors. No one in my family had those kinds of um, professions where that's even like an, an opportunity. And so, and what was the answer? Like, now that you look back, it, it, because, right, in a way, like, I mean, I can think of one thing, like, Obviously, when you own something as opposed to work for something, that alone is the beginning of the disparity. But now, but, right. but you, you, you're the expert. So you, when you look back, what would you say to someone who probably has the same question you do still now? And what is the answer? Well, I think there's, it's a twofold answer from a systemic point of view. And then I think this is why I started the company. It's intergenerational wealth. Right. Most people as as hard as you work, most people are getting some kind of intergenerational wealth passed down, whether that's you get married and and your parents give you a loan for a home, your grandparents pay for college. All of those things add up to intergenerational wealth, because at the end of the day, it means that you're starting off with not in the negative, not in that deficit. Right. Right. And so there's there's that from a structural level. And I think that's something that now I've essentially dedicated my life and my company to, which is how do we create those opportunities to build intergenerational wealth? I think the other thing is, and to your point, I think especially now in the last maybe seven to 10 years has really been the focus on entrepreneurship. You don't, that kind of wealth is generally built becoming an entrepreneur. Owning, that means, right? Owning, that means a production versus just being a worker. Um, and this is why it's a really important to get more people also in the investment world, right? To understand investing because you have to put your money to work. And if you don't understand that and you're just putting money in your savings account, for example, you're not really investing and you're, you know, really risk adverse, more than likely your money's not going to make that much money. And so, you know, and and look, that's not, it's not for everyone to do that. Not everyone's going to go and do that. And some people are are completely happy, but what we want to do and what my mission is to make sure that everyone has that option, Mm. right? If you do want to build wealth, if you do want to build intergenerational stability, or if you just want to feel like comfort zone, like I don't want to feel stressed out about my money, what do I do? And I think that all of my, I mean, my experience growing up in Napa, being third generation, seeing the juxtaposition of of wealth and, you know, working class people is absolutely core to who I am, but also to how I think about my business, how I think about what I'm trying to do in terms of impacting folks in the U.S. and working class people across the U.S., right? Which is and that's huge. And we we have a we have a massive wealth gap in, in women, people of color, and we don't have good financial education. I definitely didn't know anything about money <laughs> when I was growing up, except that you're supposed to have it, keep it, and as my grandmother would say, stash it under your mattress in case you need it. <laughs> For a rainy day, right? We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Grilling season is here, and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. So, you know, it's interesting. Here you are. You have taken the test to uh, depart high school. You're in a community college. You're probably in the back of your head. That question is lingering. How do you create the kind of wealth that you saw in Napa? And you set out to become a lawyer, right? Which well, was- I didn't actually okay. set out to become a lawyer. Um, that's just fun. I actually set out to become a journalist. I was very involved in journalism. Because there's a lot of money there, right? I know. <laughs> I, well, I, didn't, I didn't know that, you know. I don't think that that initially it was like, let me go make money. I think it was, let me get out of Napa. (laughs) Then let me get to UCLA and then let me get to New York. So, uh, and and this is something I talk about a lot, which is having five-year milestones. 
and doing a look back, right? So I, so that that way it becomes much more attainable, right? So I was never, I never had a straight, you know, linear passage to like, okay, I want to be a lawyer. I really didn't even think about law school until um, later in my career. So I ended up being in community college, knowing that the next step was education, right? Going to either, you know, UC Berkeley, UCLA. I wanted to leave the Bay Area. So I was like, I want to go to UCLA. I ended up making that transition there. And the whole point was that I was going to go work for, you know, 60 minutes or go to, you know, and I actually, that's what brought me to New York. I ended up doing an internship with 60 minutes in LA and then ended up working for CBS. And that's how I ended up coming to um, New York. And um, we have that in common. We both worked for CBS in New York. Did you know oh, that yeah. I did too? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great at the 57th Street building. I yes, that. exactly. That big building on 57th. Yeah, I anchored the yeah. morning news for WCBS for about five oh, wonderful. years. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, no, it was a great experience. Um, so that was really what drove me. It was that, you know, but let me just sort of get to the next milestone. Mm-hmm. And then once I ended up coming to New York and working in journalism, I realized I I kind of wanted to be more on the public policy side that drove me to my kind of next career move. Um, I was working at a think tank and then ended up doing international human rights work as the executive director of an organization, which was just phenomenal. I mean, I, I was able to travel the world and be part of some really interesting and innovative policy uh, programs and and movements to to hold the U.S. government accountable to economic, social, and cultural rights. So it all ties back, I think, into my core, which is how do you create greater equality, especially economic equality. So really, that's the through line through every aspect of your career is that those those first years in Napa, seeing that inequity and saying to yourself, where where's the answer here and and how can we create more opportunity especially for people like my family yeah. take me from becoming a lawyer to where you are now that that sort of leap how did that happen yeah so there was it's kind of a twofold leap so i was working in international human rights work and we were doing a lot of work at that time around the convention on the elimination of racial discrimination the world conference against racism had just been held in south africa i was part of that delegation and it was focused we our, our focus as us ngos was on this sort of the impact of economic inequality and so you know and and during those times i was involved in a lot of sort of um, high-level meetings in Geneva, and particularly one that I, I think about, which is the financing for development, which is when big banks and the, the financial institutions, IMF and stuff, come together to think about how do you build infrastructure in third world countries, right? So that was something that I was involved with. And I realized that there wasn't enough of people that looked like me or thought like me on the other side of that financing. Yes. <laughs> and I said, you know, we we can't just talk about the problems. We have to talk about how to fund the solutions. The problem is that we're not on that other side because not enough of us, whether that's women or folks of color, or even people with a different background in finance. And so that was my trigger to go to law school, to focus on the corporate finance piece of law. And so I ended up going to law school. I think I was in my early thirties. So it was an older student, right? It was a major shift for me. I was giving up you know, a job and, and sort of, I was a single mom and it was, so it was a big sacrifice to go, but well worth it. I ended up focusing specifically on corporate law. My first year working under chief judge Gonzalez in the Southern district in bankruptcy, 
which was handling, you know, they handle all the big cases in chapter 11. So at the time we still had Lehman stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I ended up doing the summer honors program for a year and a half with the SEC and the asset management unit. Um, So got a really good look at hedge funds and private equity funds. And that was during the rollout of Dodd-Frank. So, you know, I just got this amazing experience from my law school and I was at Fordham and it was a great program. I just indebted to Fordham Law for the opportunities that they provided and then ended up working at a a securities firm. So we did um, class action securities litigation. And one of the first cases I was brought on to was Madoff. So um, it was- Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was there's many facets to the Madoff case. We were working one angle, which was, you know, um, looking at different in financial institutions role in the proliferation of the Madoff scheme. I worked on MF Global, which was John Corzine. Um, and that was really interesting. So that even though it was a short period of time, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, in terms of like it was over a seven to 10 year period, I just got an incredible experience looking at capital markets and kind of all angles, right? In bankruptcy and at the SEC, you see the whole picture. And even in litigation, because you get to see all the documents, you see how how these schemes work, right? And I think one of the lessons that I learned was, okay, finance is complicated, but it's not brain surgery. And part of it is that people just don't know how to break it down. And I think there's a reason. I think that the more people are knowledgeable about money, the more they're going to make different decisions that don't benefit certain financial regimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even with the housing crisis, that was another like sort of trigger for me, which was the housing crisis. What we've seen was that black and brown communities lost over 50% of their, of their net worth of their wealth, and they didn't recover. And partially it was, they didn't recover because they, their assets weren't diversified in the market. They were solely in property. Right. And so things like that started really kind of like circulating in my brain. And I was going, hmm, there's there's an opportunity. There's a gap of information here. People don't quite understand the financial system, financial like sort of Wall Street makes it seem very complicated. It doesn't speak to the average person. Right. I mean, you don't think about Wall Street and think about us. And yet it's there are opportunities for us to manage our money in different ways to understand we work really hard for our money we should really understand how it's making money for us don't you think there's a whole there's whole systems in place to make it look more complicated than it is there are whole ways of being that are stopping people at the door and that's for a reason mm-hmm. i'm really fascinated with your work with my money my future at the very heart of what you're doing, what are you trying to do? And where do you begin with someone when you first meet somebody and want to really educate them? What Take me through the process. Yeah. So we actually are in the middle of a pivot. So this will be the first thing kind of announcing our new company called wealthbuild.ai. And it's just taking the what we had already were working on at My Money, My Future, which is essentially this. People need access to quality financial advice. And financial advice that is both curated um, to them and based on their own sort of experiences and their own financial data points, right? You know, different different ages, if you're married, if you're not married, new job. There's a bunch of things that I think will inform your financial plan. People don't have access to 
really good answers to basic questions around money, right? And so if you don't learn about it at home, you don't learn about it in school, then who do you ask? And normally what the, what the answers I get are, well, I either ask my dad if that's someone in your family, but for a lot of folks of color, that's not an option. It's not like they have someone in their family that knows about money or maybe it's a husband. But so the idea was like, how do we actually get people to be empowered to ask questions and also not feel any shame Yes. Not feel stupid for asking questions. Mm-hmm. Things, anything from how do I do a rollover and should I? Should I roll over my 401k? I just started a new job. What should I do? I just got married. What money things should I be thinking about? I'm just, you know, I want to buy a house. What should I be thinking about? So, what happened in fintech in the, over the last really seven to 10 years is that the first version of fintech was kind of making things accessible. So, you had lots of different apps for budgeting, for investing. And we've kind of perfected that now. So now you have an app for every one of those individual things. But what you don't have still is someone you could just turn to and be like, I have this money question. Right. I I just inherited, you know, X amount of dollars. I'm worried about taxes. What should I do? Right. Right. Or I, you know, there's so many types of money questions. What we're building is the smartest, AI-driven chatbot to answer those questions and to give people that quality advice based on their specific information. Because the advice that you might get is going to be different than someone else, depending on your assets, depending on your long-term goals, right? And so we're building that out right now. And that was the early, I think the early versions of My Money, My Future wanted to do that. The technology quite wasn't there. Um, We are now in a new place with not only the advancements in AI, but we're also building on top of blockchain. So we're utilizing the blockchain to also provide reward systems because what we're seeing is that we're moving into the metaverse, right? We're moving very quickly into this new uh, sort of form of currency based on on blockchain. And so we want to make sure that we're there for that next generation to simplify and to guide, right? So think of us almost as your Sherpa that's going to give you the information that you need. So you're learning while you're doing and then connecting that to an action. So if you were like, I want to roll over my 40K, where do I start? It's like, first, we're going to give you that information. Here's what a rollover means. Here's why you should do it. And then walk you through the process of actually taking that action. What do you think are the two biggest mistakes people make, especially people that you see Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to money? Mm-hmm. One is avoidance. It's like fear. It's fear of money, whether that's avoiding it in their own lives. Like, oh, I don't check my account. I've never looked at my 401k. I can't tell you how many people have, I know they have one, but they're like, I don't know what's in there. I have no, you know, wow. right. So, so it's the avoidance of all things money. That's a huge mistake. And then the second mistake, especially for women and, and folks of color is that not doing it early enough, right? Mm-hmm. Not thinking about their money early enough. And so therefore you're losing all those years of compound yes. interest. And that's, I would say it's my biggest mistake, right? And I think about what would I have told my 20 year old self? Yeah. And that's how I always think about the company. Like, what if I knew then what I know now, what would I have done differently? I would have started investing. Like, mm. I mean, I've been working forever. Mm. <laughs> I should have had millions, millions of dollars in a 401k, an IRA, and a brokerage account. I would have taken better care of my credit because credit is king. And I think sometimes the message, particularly in communities of color, is that credit is bad. Mm. And it's not. It's how do you leverage credit to right. build ass- or to buy assets, mm-hmm. right? So there's that. And then just, you know, I think that generally for so many people, understanding the financial system so that you're not afraid of it. 
Right. Yes. I mean, I could have bought property in, in Brooklyn, you know, when I first moved to Fort Greene and, and it's just like, I kick myself I bet. and I, I would have had a right. million dollar, <laughs> million dollar brownstone. By I th- you know what, Ramona, I think we're all there on some aspect of real estate for sure. I remember when I was in, I think either sixth or seventh grade, we had a social studies teacher. He, he had thick Coke bottle glasses. And he said, today's going to be a different day. I'm going to teach you something that you're going to remember for the des- rest of your life. And he took out a marker for, on his whiteboard. And he said, if you save just $1 a day, I want to teach you about compound interest <laughs> starting today and how you, everyone in this room can be a millionaire. And mm-hmm. of course, at the time we were so young, right? Like we, it was all that, but it was probably one of the most powerful lessons. He really simplified how if you were literally to save a dollar a day mm-hmm. at the age of whatever, 10, 11, you would be a millionaire and and right. why. And it, it's something that why don't people teach that? Why don't they explain that, especially to communities, you know, that have economic inequity, right? It's like, isn't that should be paramount. Yeah, absolutely. But, but yet it's not. Well, I think, that, look, I mean, you can, on a macro level, it's that people benefit, right? Big, big banks benefit. It, during the crisis, you've seen this, people didn't understand a adjustable mortgage. Mortgage, rate, yeah. Right. And that was one of the reasons people got screwed. Yeah. Um, and so there's, I think there's that, right? Which is, yes, we should have a federal mandate. This should be part of a curriculum. And right now, you know, we've worked with some universities to try to provide that at least at graduation. People should really understand loan rates because they're going to be paying back their student loans. And negotiation, yes. 401ks, that's going to be their first job out of college. What do you do? How should you start, you know, putting money away? So there's that. But I also think that it's the way that we talk about money hasn't been personalize. There are cultural nuances around money, um, how we think about it, how we act on it, how we share it, how we don't share it. And those, I think part of, and part of what we're doing is saying, let's actually talk to people about these products in a way that makes sense to their life. It's not about what's in your bank account. It's about sort of what do you want to do in life and how can that money and these tools, whether that's a savings account, a bank account, a mortgage, help you achieve that? So there's a, a so I'm writing a book, and one of the things that that we're talking about a lot is so money is a means to an end, but you need to know what your end goal is, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone has different end goals. I mean, sure, everyone can say they want to be rich, but what does that mean? I mean, mm-hmm. for some, it's financial complete financial freedom. I want to travel the world. For others, it's no, I want financial security. I want to know I have a house and I have X amount of dollars in my savings. For others, it's well, I want to be a mogul. I want to have multiple businesses, right? So those are different avenues and they're different trajectories and they're different financial plans, you know? And so that's something that we always think about in this is that how do we talk about money and financial planning or products in a way that connects to the person? It's very personal. It's very individual. Yes. Right. I mean, think about life insurance, right? Nobody wants to sit and talk to a life insurance broker, (laughs) right? right? They're going to give you all these models about this. But it's important. Life life insurance is important. It's super important. But the way you talk about it. So instead of talking about these modeling, because remember those, the, the products are often meant for upper middle-class families. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to me about selling me an insurance product, for example, and say, well, this will be replacing an income, you know, et cetera, your husband, I'm like, well, first of all, I don't have a husband. Second of all, if, you know, 
there was never any money coming in anyway. Right. So that's not a replacement for anything. Right. So the conversation is different, right? Yes. So when I bought life insurance for the first time as a single mom, I was like, if all else fails, at least I have this. Got it. Yes. And that's a different conversation, a different conversation. You're, you're, and I think that's, what's really important. And when we talk about how we're changing the face of finance. It really means that as we're bringing different experiences into the conversation around money. What have you learned personally about money as this exchange of energy and what it means in the big picture point of view to Ramona right at this moment? Mm. (laughs) That's a big one. Um, you need capital to make capital, right? Capital, like, I think the access to, to capital is a really key element here. And because even in, when I think about how Silicon Valley gives so little money to founders, which is why yes. you don't see many women, mm-hmm. people of color in tech, right? Because you need money, you need capital mm-hmm. to start a company. It's very expensive, especially in, in tech. So I think that one of, I I didn't realize how important because sometimes you can get, well, if I would have just worked harder, if I would have just saved more, right? Don't eat out as much, all of these things. And it's like, yes, those are important habits. Yes, those will get you to a certain point, but it's only up to here. At the end of the day, you need access to capital to actually make money, Mm. whether that's because you need a down payment for a home, you buy a home and then you leverage that to buy a second property and you rent that out, right? That, so it's an incremental avenue to building wealth. And I think that what we miss is that if you can't get access to that first level of access to capital, it's really hard to build intergenerational wealth. That's really interesting. So you would, you would define it almost like for you at the heart of it, money is access. So money is almost a gateway to more, to and to power and to success because you need money to make money. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that's a secret, right? Money is is absolutely about opportunity. Well, it, it's fascinating because, you know, I, I for on to dine for I interview so many different types of founders, artists. Everyone has a different definition of money. I, you know, I recently interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a media oh, yeah. mogul, right? You <laughs> yes, know, I know he, he's a marketing mogul, and he, you know, mm-hmm. he said it's more important how you make your money than the money you make, right? Like how you make your money is everything, mm-hmm. but that can only be said from a place of access, right? Right, exactly. And then I interviewed Arlen Hamilton, who is trying- We're part of the fund. Yeah, you know, oh, you are, you know, so you know the power and the magic that is Arlen Hamilton. And she has backstage capital and she invests in underrepresented founders. And she has a, a completely different definition because she, like you, understands that you can't go anywhere unless you have the capital to make it happen. And she talks a lot about how if you don't have money, you have to be the money, right? You have to be the commodity and then the money will come. And so it's so interesting to hear. And it's so important, don't you think, to see how different people define money and how we can keep the conversation going because people money for so many people and culturally has been a taboo subject to talk about. And Mm -hmm. just by talking about it, we break down a few of the walls that allow people to learn more. Absolutely. Because money is not something that sits out here. It's part of our daily lives. Yes. You know, again, it's not, it's the end game, right? Money is just a means to an end. 
what's your end game? What do you want to do in life? How do you want this money to be an enabler, right? And I think that's the key. And you're absolutely right that like everyone has a different perspective on money. And I think it depends where you start. Right. Right. Someone asked me about like being, you know, this sort of idea of a self-made person. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, look, there's plenty of people who have been super successful. They're billionaires, but you have to look at where, how far they've come. Right. Cause some people are, they got a lot, they started here. And so, and and versus someone who's like, I really started from the bottom and and I may not be a billionaire, but I'm a millionaire. And that journey was long. Right. And that's an impressive journey. And I think that, you know, the key is like uh, for all of us to talk about money in different ways. So it becomes more mainstreamed. One of the things that I've always said I wanted to build was a brand because look, there's, there's a ton of apps out there around money. Like there, I mean, there's thousands of FinTech apps. So it's not so much about access anymore, right? It's like, do you want a bank? You can probably get a digital bank account. If you're unbanked, there's a couple of different ways. There's lots of new products out there, but at the end of the day, Really, how do we change the conversation? Yes. And for us, it's focusing on creating a brand around the money conversations. And then the tools will come, right? We can build the tools. But how do we become the Adidas of, of money, right? So that it becomes this place and uh, that feels safe to talk about money. You feel like you have kind of your financial advisor in your back pocket, right? And I think that's the key for us is like, making sure that we're changing the conversation around money and particularly money in, in communities of color. How do people find out about you, Ramona? They can follow me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter at Dinero Diva. Um, <laughs> <I> love it. <laughs> and then um, you can also, um, well, you can visit My Money, My Future right now. And, and, and then we will, that'll be linked over as we launch Wealth Build. So you can also find us on Instagram at My Money, My Future, and then LinkedIn. Um, you can find me personally. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful hearing about your journey. And I wish you continued success in 2022. I wish we had a glass of champagne at Bouvette's right now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe someday. Maybe a live Bouvette. <laughs> exactly. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, you so too. much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of todinefor the podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.